Go to John chapter 18, and uh, we're going to jump in today. We've been following the story of God. John's the fourth book in the New Testament, by the way. Uh, we've been in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, for a pretty good while. We've got about three or four more weeks, maybe, and then we'll move on out of those. But these are the accounts of Jesus, and that's where we're at in the story. And I'm not give you the whole story again, but we started before God... Or before the earth, when God existed before creation, and we went through his creation, we went through the fall of creation, where man chose to rule his own kingdom, and to put God out of his kingdom in that sense. Sin entered the world, death entered the world, and now uh, we have followed this story looking for the Messiah, the king, the rightful ruler, the one who will restore what was lost. The person that God promised to Eve all the way back when it all started. And now we've been in the time period of this person's life. His name is Jesus. He's the son of God. He is God himself on earth. And we've been following that thread for a pretty good bit. So this is where we are. Now we're in John and we've reached a point in Jesus' life where he has grown up. He's made disciples. His disciples have been with him. He's done countless miracles. We talked, I think, last week. He raised the dead. And now he has come to the, not just the end of his life, but the purpose, the main purpose for which he came that goes all the way back to Eve. And we'll be talking about this for a few weeks because it's all one moment. But it's today I called it interrogating God. Oh, that's a pretty heavy statement, but just think about it a minute. Interrogating God. What's an interrogation? It's an attempt to find the truth. What's the truth here? And, and, and we want to get to the bottom of it. No, if you're guilty of, if you're innocent of a crime, the truth is the one thing you want the most. Because you want, I'm innocent. If you're guilty of a crime, truth is the one thing you're most afraid of. You know what I mean? So, so it's a powerful statement. To say interrogating God, but what we're looking for is what's the truth? Uh, I watched a handful of shows the other day. I just got caught, I was doing nothing for, which is rare for me. Uh, and I just got stuck watching these dumb, like, terror in the woods shows on, like, I don't know what it was, Discovery Channel or Travel Channel or something. And they were talking about everything from, werewolves to cave-dwelling mutants, I'm not kidding you, you know, to aliens and shapeshifters, all true, of course. These were all true accounts because uh, Joe Bob said it happened, you know, or whoever it was. Most of it, as you probably could guess, was centered around Bigfoot and different accounts of him from all, all over the place. And I grew up fascinated by Bigfoot. I remember stories of that in the 70s when I was a kid. And they're no different now, except surprisingly, in the age of camera phones, no one can still capture any kind of quality photo of this thing. Not, I don't care where you fall, that's not what I'm here to talk about, whether he's there or not, okay? But, what's the truth? UFOs, uh, take your pick, ghosts, mediums, psychics. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> we can go straight down them all. But it's not just mystical things. It's other things too. It's social media, YouTube. They all tell you what's true. And, and this is not about where we, where we feel politically. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying people all tell you what's true. Whether it's a global warming, a flat earth, vaccines, presidents, whatever else. And I, and again, I know we all have different 
differences on some of these, so I'm not going at that. I'm only saying, what's the truth? Like, what, what is the truth? Today, though, we're not talking about mysticism or conspiracies. The Bible has another focus, and that is, what's the truth about God? He's the one on trial here. The king of all creation now faces an interrogation. And imagine if God was on, think about this, if God was on trial today, if he was here today and he was being interrogated, what would he be accused of? What do you think if God was on trial in our world today, he would be accused of? What do you think would be his defense? You know, so here's your one point to remember. We'll get into it, but here's one point to remember. It's not scripture. It's just me giving you like a light post to keep in front of you as we go through this. We follow Jesus not because of physical or material blessings, but because we know that he is the truth. You got that? We follow Jesus on the sheets back there. We follow Jesus not because of physical or material blessings, but because we know he is the truth. All right. So AD 33 is about the time period we're in. All of the gospels discuss what we're about to talk about. Uh, it is what we call Good Friday. It's that moment in time. You may be like, Dave, this is not Easter. Well, I mean, this doesn't matter. Easter celebrates this occasion. This occasion can be discussed at any time. It's okay. All right. So Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. He then walks down to Gethsemane. His, he begins to pray. His disciples fall asleep. Judas, who had already betrayed him, one of his own, um, brings this religious mob in and the mob arrests Jesus and drags him off. All of the disciples scatter and Jesus is then taken to the father of the high priest, who was the former high priest. And he begins to question Jesus and ask him things in a, in a first round of interrogations. Peter, in the moment, denies Jesus, denies knowing him how many times? Three times, right? The sun rises. So this all occurred overnight, and now the sun has started to come up and rise. And then Jesus is taken to the actual high priest and the Sanhedrin, which was the religious kind of um, congress, you could think of it. And so he goes before them, and he's on trial again. He's meeting, beaten, he's mocked, he's condemned. But they don't have the authority to execute him, and the time period is not appropriate because of Passover. They want Rome to do it. So they take him to Pilate, who is the Roman governor of Judea. So think about the region of Judea where Jerusalem is. He is, Pilate is placed there by Rome to be governor over that place. Tiberius is the emperor. So Tiberius is not related to the story, but I tell you that because this is all historical events. These are actual names, actual people. You can go look it up in history. Tiberius existed. Pilate existed. All these people existed. So verse 33, John 18. Here we go. Pilate enters his headquarters and he calls Jesus and he says to him, are you the king of the Jews? So this is the opening of Pilate's interrogation of Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Jesus is being accused here uh, of starting an insurrection, sort of. They've come along and insinuated that he's calling himself king. And if he's calling himself king, then he's starting a rebellion. Well, 
Pilate could care less about Jewish faith or messiahs or any of that. But sedition's a big deal. That's punishable by death. And they know it. And that's what they're accusing him of. And Jesus is recognizing that. Are you coming to that conclusion or has somebody else told you that? Jesus replies to you in a very rabbinical fashion. Question for question. You ask me a question, I ask you a question. You ask me a question, I ask you a question. It's maddening. But it also helps you think and pause and process, and you may already know the answer. And we do it too, right? Your kid comes up to you with a math problem in their homework. Hey, what's the answer here? Do you go 25? No. You say, well, where do you begin? You know what I mean? So we, we do the same kind of thing to some degree. So Jesus throws a question back. Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? I'm not one of you, bro. Your own nation And the chief priests have delivered you over to me. This is cool because you're going to see this flip-flop back. He's going to deliver them, him, Jesus back to them. And kind of the point here is Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Everyone's responsible here for the death of Christ. They're they're all responsible. They're all connected to it. Jew, Gentile, doesn't make any difference. What have you done, he says. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. But that's funny. Pilate says, what do you do? do?" And it's like he's ditching the question. He doesn't even address it. He just states who who he is. And that he's not who he appears to be. That's, you see what he said? What did you do? And rather than saying what he's done, he's talking about who he is. And in this case, that he's not just who he appears to be. His kingdom is not confined to this world. What does that imply? Think about that for a minute. It implies that either he's otherworldly or he's Bigfoot, you know, or an alien or whatever. You know, I mean, it's, or crazy. You know, he's, he's saying he's, he's there for a purpose, not caught in a crime. That's what he's saying. I'm here for a reason. I'm sitting, my kingdom's not of this world. So therefore, if I'm here in your face, I'm here for a reason. Not because I'm caught in any crime. And, and why is Jesus as king the focus of the problem here? Think about that a minute. Why, what would be the implications if Jesus was king? For the Jews, for Pilate, for Rome. What are the implications for you if Jesus is king? I mean, think about it a minute. A lot of us want to say we follow him. A lot of us want to say we're disciples. A lot of us want to say that. But is he king? Like, and, and, and don't just say, yes, he is. No, I'm asking you. Is he actually king? You know, look at verse 36. He goes on. He says, if my Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fight would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. If Jesus kingdom was earthly one, he's saying, hey, you would have never scooped me up with that mob out there in the in the garden because my disciples would have fought you. If my kingdom was here, you'd be, you wouldn't see me standing here in front of you, bro, because my people would come take you. 
That's what Jesus is trying to say to him. Not, Jesus is not saying my people are stronger. He's only saying if my kingdom were here, an insurrection would have already started the moment you tried to arrest me and we'd be having a war. They'd be storming the, storming the compound. They'd be overrunning the building. You know, they'd be coming because you're doing me wrong. That's what he's saying. But the reality is that Jesus' kingship has never been in jeopardy even for a second because it's not subject to this world. Think about that. When he says, "My kid, they would be fighting for me, but they don't have to because I'm not from here, bro. Dave translation. You know, I'm not from here. Like, they don't, there's no reason for them to fight because I'm not from here. My kingdom's never been in jeopardy. And he's also telling this guy in a, in a, in a, in a unique way, I guess. He's telling Pilate, hey, Rome is, there's no threat to Rome from me. There's no threat to the Jews rule from me because that's not the purpose that he's there for. He's there for a purpose that was set in play from before the foundations of the world. And Pilate's just playing a role in it. He doesn't realize it, but he is. And Jesus didn't need anybody to defend him because he came there to face death. The kingdom that he's come to do battle with, not Rome, it's not the Jews, it's death. And somebody's got to put him there. So we're having this whole conversation, Mr. Pilate, but what you don't realize is that my kingdom has never been in jeopardy because you're just part of it at the moment. What about us today? I think about this because I like apologetics, and this is one of those go-to apologetics passages. Do we need to def- apologetics means arguing the faith. Do we need to defend Jesus today? He said he didn't need any defense back then. Do we need to defend him today? Think about this a minute. Does he need us to fight for him today? Did he need us to fight for him then? First Peter 3.15 says this. It says, In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to kick somebody's teeth in if they don't agree with me and you. That's not what it says, right? Always be prepared to correct and straighten them all out. That's not what it says, is it? Always be prepared to what? Make a defense to anyone who gets in your way. To anybody who won't hear what you're saying. To anybody who defies what you think. That's not what it says. To anyone who what? Asks. Asks for the reason that you are so full of hope. That's the complete opposite of storming down people and setting people straight and fighting and arguing and yelling and yelling and saying you're wrong and whatever. It's the complete opposite. It's saying there's something in you that is so full of hope that it draws people to ask, why are you so happy even though this whole country is going to crap? And then you get to answer. So be prepared. And how do you do it? With gentleness and what? What's the word? Respect. That's the one nobody wants. Oh, I'll, I'll be real gentle and tell you you're an idiot. I'll be real gentle and tell you you're a moron. That's not respect, right? That's not respect. Do they deserve respect? It didn't ask that, did it? Didn't say that. Do they qualify for first? Didn't say that, did it? Didn't say that. 
When we find our faith is in question or we see what appears to be God on trial, we need to remember he doesn't need a defense. The Bible was here before you got here. The Bible will be here when you're gone. Newsflash. He doesn't need Jesus was here before you got here. Jesus will be here when you're gone. He doesn't need, doesn't need your defense. Our salvation, just remember like this. Our, our, our salvation, our hope, our faith comes from His sovereignty, not from how well we defend it. Our hope comes from His sovereignty, not, not, not how good we are at Arguing about it. He doesn't need that. He can handle it. Verse 37. Then Pilate said. So you're a king. Or you could say. So you are a king. However you want to look at it. Jesus answered. You say that I'm a king. And for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I've come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth. Listens to my voice. And Jesus. This whole like. Term wording Jesus is using. Is so kind of strange. But what he's saying is he is a king. He's the king of truth. He is the, or the purpose that he's there for is to declare the truth and those who know the truth hear him. That's that's what he's saying. He is, he is a king. Notice it says everyone who is of the truth. Not everyone who knows the truth. This is not, he's not talking about some kind of secret word or a one-time revelation of some kind of expert knowledge like, uh, hey, the people who, who actually know that, that, that we're living in the matrix here and that all this is not real or whatever. It's not like there's some secret revelation that he's talking about and he's saying those who know the truth. That's not what he said. He said those who are of the truth. This kingdom is ruled by a king who is the truth. John fourteen six. you probably all know it. I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. I am the truth. Jesus said so himself. It, all who are part of his kingdom hear or listen to him. John chapter 10, you can read it in your own time, around verse 27 or so. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Hear my voice. Hear him. He says it outright. And followers of him are in the truth. Know the truth. Love the truth. Want the truth. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. That's right. Set you free. He also said his kingdom, we already read it, is not of this world. Same thing. But Jesus is standing here. Can you be in this world but not be of this world? I certainly hope so because he told his disciples to live that way, right? You can be here presently in it, but that doesn't make you of it. And that's what he's talking about. Everyone who is of the truth knows him. He says they listen to my voice. Listen is a huge word. Listen is the word that you beat into your kids on a regular basis. You know what I'm saying? Like they hear me, but they're not listening. I know you hear me. Listening is different. Listening is being able to hear, but focusing your attention on doing so. Don't you love it when somebody does that? Like they were texting, but they put their phone down and they really zoom in. They're like, wait a minute, say that again. Like I really want to. Don't, doesn't that encourage you, man? It just makes your heart feel good. 
Like this person really wants to hear from me. If it's your kids, it's great, but it don't have to be kids. It could be somebody else. You could just see it, light their face up. Like they, I'm worth listening to. You know, and, and that's, that's the idea is that you're, you're intent on it, but it's even deeper than that. It's attached to obedience. So it's the idea that you hear, but you're focused on listening in order to act on it. It's almost like military. Like I'm listening, I'm hearing the orders because I'm about to go execute them, whatever they may be. Um, in order, I want to focus on this because I want to follow whatever it is that I'm hearing. So, how do you listen to the truth? How do you listen to Jesus? You know, the more you develop a relationship with him, the less you really think about it. You just learn to hear from him. But in a practical sense, how do you hear from Jesus? What's the best way? In his word. Get in there and read it. But oh man, that's just a book. I want him to see. You hadn't seen him yet. Once you see him, man, you'll realize, man, this word is amazing. Like it's not a matter of I want to hear him say it. He wrote it down. He wrote it down. It don't get better than that. It's written there for you so that you can look at it anytime you want. That's the most obvious way. But there's also through prayer and through His Spirit within us, He speaks for sure. But He never contradicts this ever. You know how I know? Because he is the truth. So contradiction doesn't fit. You can't put contradiction into the truth. So he will never contradict this. Let's go on. Verse 38. Pilate says to him, what is truth? Here's a perfect example of somebody in God's presence and missing him entirely. And Pilate asks this rhetorically because he don't really care about the answer. He walks right off. Pilate's not of the truth. Like most of the world today. What is truth? But then they smirk and walk away. They don't actually want that. Nobody really wants the answer to that. You know what I'm saying? Everybody thinks it's a cool topic, but nobody wants it. That's because the world believes that the truth hurts or the truth is are always hurting, are always restrictive, or, or the truth is always excluding, or the truth is always, you know, condemning. So they've invented this relative truth, which is amazing because that's such that's a self-defeating statement. How can the truth be relative to you? That makes there's, I don't even have to go break this down. You just think about it a minute. It makes absolutely no sense. To me, it's hot outside. Well, to me, it's cold. Well, let's go outside and find out. You know what I'm saying? And then you can walk out there, and it can be 122 degrees, and you can sit here and say all day it's cold, but we'll start piling coats on you and see how long till heat stroke hits. You know what I'm saying? And you can still say you're cold if you want. That's just ridiculous. There has to be a truth. The truth is, it's 122. It's hot. You know what I mean? Relative truth is a ridiculous statement, but people create that in order to categorize what they want to be okay and not okay. And Jesus taught the opposite. Jesus taught that he was the truth and that knowing the truth, though it might hurt sometimes, though it might exclude, though it might do those things, it's also freeing. We, for the record, we want the truth to be exclusive. We do. Because we need it to be. 
That's how we can depend. That's the North Star. That's how we can find where to go. And exclusivity is okay. Think your wife wants you to be exclusive? You know, I mean, your partner, they want you to love them, right? Uh, let's go on. Verse 38. After he'd said this, he went back outside to the Jews. So Pilate has, has heard this. He said, what's truth? And then he walks, he doesn't even wait for an answer. He walks out and he tells him, I don't find any guilt with him. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with this guy. How many people are like this one today? This is probably the most common one I see. Hey, Jesus is cool, man. Jesus is just all right with me. You know, whatever the song is. Jesus is, hey, Jesus is my homeboy, right? I don't got nothing against him personally. Sure, man. I mean, sure, he was, he was, he was great, man. Sure, he was innocent. Another corrupt government system killing an innocent person. You know, I don't know, whatever it is. But is that what's happening here? Do you know the truth? Are you of the truth. So Jesus is sent by Pilate to Herod, who's kind of this puppet king that Rome has pacified the Jews by letting them have. Uh, and he's a, a Jewish king in a, in a very pitiful sense. And he interrogates him. He finds no guilt in him. He sends him back, uh, mocks him some, but sends him back to Pilate. And then Pilate offers the crowd a choice. Hey, I tell you what, how about Jesus or this known criminal? The crowd chooses who? The criminal, known criminal, and screams for Jesus' head, more or less. Jesus is innocent, but he's condemned. And in his place, the guilty go free. Even this moment is a picture of the gospel. Even as Barabbas and Jesus are offered as options, and the crowd chooses the guilty, there's a picture of the gospel. Jesus is innocent, but he is deemed guilty while the guilty go free. That's what the cross does for us. He takes our sin and we go free who deserve to be upon it. Um, and don't forget, Jesus is never caught off guard here. Even on trial, he proves true. Even on trial, he proves true. His condemnation is based not on human error, but on divine sovereignty. It's not, the, it's not because somebody messed up here and we got the wrong guy. It's God's plan. It's, it's God's plan. So Pilate has Jesus beaten. Soldiers craft uh, a, a crown of thorns. It, you can read this in your own time. And they shove it into his head. They put a robe on his back, which has been beaten to pieces and probably was miserable because of the exposed flesh and to have a robe dripped on, draped across it. And then Pilate drags him back and puts him in front of the crowd again. Again. Verse 4, chapter 19. Jump forward. Chapter 19, verse 4. Pilate went out and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. This is like the third or fourth time. He says this so many times. I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. It's a, it's a sarcastic stab at the religious leaders. Look at your Look at your man, guys, right here. It's like saying, hail your king, your, your, your man, your Messiah. But the crowd cries for crucifixion, crucify him. 
We'll get to that next week's in the next couple of weeks. But Pilate says, you do it. He's innocent. I, I, I find him. You brought him for me to interrogate. Here's the truth. He's innocent. He said it multiple times. Now, what's strange is, why is Pilate having all of this crazy discussion anyway? Why does he care about one Jew? I, I, you know, in modern day times, he'd have pulled a gun out and shot him standing there. I mean, what? He had no respect for the Jews. Why does he care about one Jew? And it could be argued that, well, there's an insurrection that could come up or that the crowds supported Jesus. and what. But in this moment, no, they all want him dead. So why not just get him killed? And he says, you do it. I find no, you know, he's not guilty. Well, they reply, he claimed to be the son of God. Now, that may seem like a small thing, but Pilate freaks out. Look, it says when Pilate hears that, he's a, he becomes afraid. Disturbed, afraid. Obviously, Pilate has some kind of superstition or faith or something. He's like, wait, 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 wait. So he takes Jesus back in to interrogate him again. And Pilate's fear here is, uh, it, it's amazing. It shows that he's more serious about who Jesus is than Jesus' own people. Pilate is more serious about knowing who Jesus is than his own people are. And the fact that Jesus has claimed to be the son of God, whether true or not, at least makes him pause to find out if that's true. He entered verse nine, his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, where, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. When you're looking for the truth, when you're interrogating, why do you ask that question? Where are you from? Like you want to know their background. Like, how were they raised? Who are your parents? Like, are you from here? Or are you from Detroit? You know, I mean, whatever. Like, where, where are you from that I might try to understand who you really are? But Jesus doesn't say from Nazareth. He doesn't say I was born in Bethlehem. He doesn't say, uh, I've been in Israel all my life. He doesn't say anything. He says nothing. He doesn't even say heaven here. He says nothing. Nothing. Why ignore the question? Well, for one, he already told him. He already said he wasn't from this world. So why do you think Pilate's asking now? Why is he now asking where you're from? I think maybe this is like if you've seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas time. I think this is kind of like that moment where George Bailey, who has his guardian angel present, and his guardian angel has been doing these, creating this environment where Things are supernaturally wild and he's trying to ignore it and just live in it thinking he's got some kind of, you know, he hit his head or something. But at one point he realizes, wait a minute, what's happening here? Who are you? Like the dude's been telling him all along, your guardian angel. Who are you? Where are you from? I think Pilate has realized this thing has now escalated to something crazy. And on top of that, he's claiming to be a son of God. And Pilate's like, man, before I go another step, like, wait a minute, who are you? Where are you from? Like, where are you from, really? And what's wild is Jesus, just like, not to compare Jesus to Clarence, the angel in the story over here. But Jesus has already told him. Why does he waste time telling him again after Pilate had him beaten anyway? And Pilate had already told him he didn't care what the truth was anyway, didn't he? What is truth? 
just walks out. So why would Jesus bother telling him again? Verse 10. So Pilate said to him, you're, you're not going to talk to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus said to him, you have no authority over me, period. That's not a period. There's no period there. That's where we want to put it, but there's no period there. You have no authority over me at all unless it had been granted you from above. So he's saying you do have authority over me, but only because a higher authority has given it to you. That's what he's clearly saying. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So what he's saying is the one who delivered me has the greater sin. He's probably talking about Caiaphas, the high priest that sent him over there begging for him to be crucified. Because Herod, this puppet king, and Caiaphas, this high priest of the time, were both fakes. Neither one of them had assumed that office in the godly way described in Scripture. There was a path to who became king and who became high priest. And neither one of them had done that. Uh, Herod had been set up by Rome, not God, not anointed by a prophet. And Caiaphas had become part of a, a system where they just took over the priesthood and guaranteed that their family was going to keep it. But it wasn't supposed to be like that. It was supposed to be a descendant of Aaron. So both of them have this fake bloodline, fake succession. But Pilate is no follower of God here. But in a place of authority that came from above, making him better off than they were, but not innocent. Notice he says the greater sin. He doesn't say you're sinless, they're sinful. So he's saying that you're in a place of authority that God put you in. These others are not. They're guilty of greater sin, at least in this case. Not saying it's okay what you're doing, but he's saying you're in this place. At least God put you there. And he doesn't even follow God. And Pilate's treating Jesus like he's losing here. You better talk to me, man. But Jesus doesn't need a defense. We already said that. What no one realizes is that Jesus is actually on the offense here. He's actually on the offense. What appears to be loss is actually a plan of attack. You know, because what's the result going to be? He's going to take authority from death. He's going to defeat death. In order to defeat death, you have to what? Die. He's got to go there. He is going to defeat death. And one day he's going to return with his servants this time. Saints and angels, it says in Revelation 19, and he's going to claim his authority on the earth as well. But here in this text, Jesus doesn't dispute that Pilate has authority. This is important. He doesn't dispute that Pilate has authority. Only notes where it came from. And if you don't think this is true, you don't think this is right, read the Bible. There's countless accounts of this. uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Read about Nebuchadnezzar, particularly in Jeremiah. It, God refers to him as the one, as his servant, God's servant, Nebuchadnezzar, who is going to come from a pagan nation and destroy your, my kingdom or destroy Israel. So, yes, God does use all people. And in this case, that's what's going on. Think about it today. What does that look like today? Jesus has been beaten wrongfully. His character and his integrity Our identity have been challenged. He's been mocked by this leader who's about to put him to death. And still, he acknowledges 
that the governor has been given authority from above. Was Pilate assigned to this position by God? Clearly, Jesus said so himself. Was Pilate someone who prayed? Clearly not. Was Pilate someone who loved Jesus? Clearly not. Was Pilate part of a bigger plan of God? Clearly. Clearly. But we're not in that. We, we, we don't have his perspective. We're in the moment. That's why Paul wrote some things. That, and I know they're challenging. Take it up with Paul. Take it up with Scripture. Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them, Titus, Paul says, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. Be ready for every good work. To speak evil of who? Speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. In the context of rulers and authorities. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy towards the people you like best. Towards all people. All people. Romans 13, 1. This, this right here is heavy. You gotta keep this in context too. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Says it plain as day. Does that mean you have to like our president? Not remotely. That's not what it's saying. Didn't say like. Does that mean you have to agree with the governor of Arizona? No. It doesn't say any of that. Does that mean that you cannot vote and you cannot raise votes? No. It's got nothing to do with any of that. Does it mean you should Lead people in a biblical correct direction. Yes, all of that's true. All this is saying is don't break the law. If you do break the law, you're going to be subject to judgment. Is that true? Well, duh. That's obvious. If your attempt to right what you think is wrong with our, with the authorities in this country is to go start burning down buildings, you're going to go to jail. Now, you might say, well, I'm going to jail for a just cause. That's fine, but you're going to incur judgment. You're still going to go to jail, you know. But he's saying let everybody be subject to those authorities. And the point he's coming to there, you got to keep in mind, look who Paul wrote that to, Rome. Rome, guys. Rome was governed by a ruler who executed crucifixions like crazy. A, a, a governor who... Literally lit the streets with the bodies of burning Christians who fed Christian families to lions for entertainment. And ultimately had Paul himself beheaded. That's who Paul's talking about when he tells Rome to be subject to the governing authorities. Because what Paul is saying is God has them there. What for? I don't know. That doesn't make them right or okay, but God is doing something. Pilate was not right or okay, but Jesus said it's okay because you only have authority because God gave it to you, and I trust him. That's what he's saying. Let's finish it quick. Verse 14. Now it was a day of preparation of the Passover. It's about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. Puts him back out, and they cried out, away with him, away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said, I'm going to crucify your king? He's just mocking them now. And the chief priest said, we have no king but Caesar. Saddest words in the Bible to me or in this this story. We have no king but Caesar. Yeah, they did. 
Even before Jesus, they had God was their king. So he delivered them over to be crucified. And I, we'll stop there and, and get back into this next week. But imagine the restraint. Being interrogated, being uh, uh, arrogant, ignorant people doing it. Attacking you while being, while you have the ability to call legions of angels to deal with this mess, but yet standing there being mocked, being punched in the face by the thing you created with your breath, having the ability to create life, but yet handing yourself over and allowing yourself to be handed over. They deliver you to death. So you can defeat it for them? You know, this is why we follow Jesus. This is why we hear his voice. We follow Jesus not because of physical or material blessings, but because he is the truth. So what do we do with this? Well, I personally think, remember as disciples that he's in charge. He's in charge. So that means a few things really quick. That means that we don't have to speak every time. He's in charge. We don't have to speak every time. We don't have to defend ourselves all the time. We don't have to defend him all the time. But we don't have to be silent all the time either. You know, we need to be respectful of authority. Be sensible. Be humble, but be firm in our faith, not our attitude. Know what I'm saying? You guys stand up. We're going to do another song and, um, you know, we'll close this up. And uh, they're going to come back up. I'll ask you guys to close your eyes a moment. I do this all the time. Again, not to not to hide a transition or any of that, not to be uber spiritual, just to give you a moment to think about his word. I'm doing it. We're doing it together. Um, I think about Pilate's statement frequently. What is truth? What is the truth? Can you answer that? I mean, do you feel conviction in your heart about it? I'm not talking about what's truth regarding the temperature outside. I'm talking about what's truth regarding when you breathe your last breath. Are you sure? I mean, if you feel a pull in your heart, that's the voice of truth. That's the voice of Jesus calling at you. It's time to make a response. It's time to say, you know what? I'm tired of doing this my way. I'm tired of creating my own truth. I'm tired of hoping for the best. Like, I want to know. It begins real simple with recognizing who you are. Look, I, I know I'm messed up. I know I'm a failure. I know I'm a sinner. I know I struggle. I know I'm not perfect. And then recognizing who he is. And I know you are. I know you were innocent. I know you're the son of God. I know that you're not of this world. And then accepting what he's done. Lord, I, I can't do it, but you can. I can't do it, but you did. I give my life to you. Based on what you did on that cross. Based on what you did in that grave. Based on the fact that you're alive and nothing I can do. Lord Jesus, if anybody's faithful enough to say those words today, God, I pray you pour your Holy Spirit into their hearts. 
change their life forever. You make them new today. And that they become part of your kingdom with me and those uh, the rest of us here who follow you. That we're not of this world either. In it, but not of it. And we have the hope of knowing that if we breathe our last in two seconds, we're home. Lord, thank you for your word. I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.